So as you know, we're in this year-long series called Build Your House, and our prayer is founded on that wonderful psalm, unless the Lord builds this house, we who labor, how many know that we're called to labor in God's house? If God's not the one doing it, if God is not the one going before us and leading us, those who build it, we labor in vain. And we started off with the first six weeks talking about God's presence, the importance, the significance, the necessity of God's presence. And last week, we shifted our focus to position. How does God position us? And we talked about how in this culture, we position one another by right and wrong sort of thinking, by ideologies. We categorize ourselves by, are you on the right side of this or are you on the wrong side of that? But when Jesus came, he came to show us, he doesn't categorize us by right and wrong thinking, but rather, are you lost or are you found? And today, we're going to take a different focus, and we're going to look at not just what does it mean to be found by Jesus, but what does it mean to be found and then to go and to find others, to find others. Because how many of you know that Jesus called those who are found to go and find the lost? That Jesus, as he comes to seek and save the lost, he is today seeking and saving the lost through you and through me. And so I think it was sometime during the uh, early 90s when I had my first taste of evangelism. Now, for some of you who are Christians in the early 90s who are going to church here in the city too, you, I might unlock a memory for you. Because at that time, there was this ecumenical effort to distribute what was called the Jesus movie. Anyone remember the Jesus movie in the early 90s? On VHS, I might add. And there was this ecumenical effort, like denominations came together into order to distribute this movie. And I think the statistics where I was looking it up, like something like 1.3 million homes received a copy of the Jesus movie, which makes me think that there were a lot of value villages at the time that probably had lots of copies of the Jesus movie on hand. Uh, but I remember tagging along with my father as we walked through the neighborhoods in Orleans. You know, like tonight, some of you are going to prayer walk your neighborhood. My father and I, we walked through our neighborhood praying and distributing and knocking on doors and handing them the Jesus movie. And some politely accepted and some politely declined. And I think you can trace my fear of rejection back to some of these earlier, earliest moments because it was here that I experienced what it was like to have someone reject that which you believe to be true. And here I learned that not everyone believed what I believed as a young boy, and not everyone saw what I saw, and I was conflicted. You know, was that okay that they believed something differently than I believed? Because if I truly believed, this is how my young little brain rationalized this, if I truly believed that there was just one way to God, and that was through Jesus Christ, that nobody could go to the Father except through the Son, and you believed in another way, or if you believed that there was no way, well, what is exactly does that mean for you? And the question that I want to ask today is, how do you know that your way is the true way of believing? How can you be so certain that your truth is the truth and that your way of believing is the way that leads to life? And all other ways that are not of Jesus, are not the way of to the Father through Jesus, that their way of believing sadly leads to death. You know, today it's considered outlandish, for to say what I just said, right? It's considered arrogant, inconsiderate, to make any claim that your truth is the truth. You know, postmodernism, with its core tenet of moral relativism, which really means there's just no such thing as absolute or total truth or morality. That in this age of moral relativism, it has built what it feels like this unscalable wall for sharing the gospel. 
Because how do you share the gospel in an age where you have your truth, I have my truth, and that's not, not just reality, but that's awesome. Like, it's awesome that you've got your truth, I've got my truth, and we kind of all live together with these different truths. What do you do when sharing the gospel is not just returned with hostility, but instead is returned with what I like to call Canadian apathy? It's like indifference clothed with, like, uh, politeness. It's like, yeah, we disagree, but we do it with a smile on our face. You know, I've heard it said often, I don't believe in God because I'm just not a very religious person. You know, I'm not religious. That's why I don't believe in God. But what I want to respond when I hear that is, but you are religious. You just don't know it. Because you can deny the existence of a belief in God, but what you cannot deny are the deepest desires of your heart, your, your, your wants and your longings and your desires and how they become a wellspring for our human behavior and our actions. Sure, sure, your religion may not be God, but you have to channel those desires, those longings of your heart somewhere or to someone. Maybe politics is your religion. How many of you know that politics is the new religion your career might be your religion. Social activism might be your religion. Money might be your religion. And Christianity, we who are Christians, we have long held to the belief that there are just two kingdoms. There is the kingdom of Christ, and there is the kingdom of this world. And you can either belong to one or the other. You cannot belong to both. You cannot belong to none. You're either in this kingdom or that kingdom. You can't serve two kings, or as Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. But what our culture has done effectively is create a sort of third kingdom, a third space, a, 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 a more neutral space. Consider it a spiritual Switzerland in the cosmic battle for the human heart. I mean, pick up any human history book, pick up any history book, and you'll see that though they look differently on paper, they all really sort of represent this thing we call a third kingdom. You know, growing up in the Roman Empire, you would come to believe in, in a Roman gospel, a Pax Romana, which meant peace, Roman peace instituted through violence, through the sword. And so there was this fundamental belief that some men were born to rule and, and some men were just born to be ruled. And that if you surrender to Rome, if you surrendered to those that were called to rule on this earth, you, if you claim that Caesar is Lord and that you called him the Savior of the world— familiar title to us, but that was at the time the title attributed to Caesar, Savior of the world, you would receive the promise of peace and prosperity that came through the power of violence and conflict. If you've rooted yourself in a, a pluralistic gospel, which says really this always lead to God, always lead to God. You know, my son, uh, this past week, uh, he's, he's telling us about this new friendship that he's made at school with, uh, with a Muslim boy. And he's like, I really like him. We have so much in common. Like, what is the difference between, like, what he believes and what I believe? Isn't it all just sort of the same? You know, in his young mind, he's sort of asking these questions. You know, if you believe in a pluralistic gospel, you believe that all religions are essentially the same thing. And that original sin is not, you know, religious, but rather it's fundamentalism and extremism that creates division and violence. And so the gospel solution is to cultivate your own spirituality, or as, as all the young people like to say, live out your truth. Live your truth. 
Third, if you bought into an individualistic gospel, which that gospel is to discover your true self, to discover your true self, you believe that becoming the best that you, that is, you can be is the best thing that can happen to you in your life. And the enemy are all those, all the haters, all those who don't embrace and accept who you believe you are and hold you back from discovering your true self. The solution then is, like I said, to tune the haters out. You do you. Be free to define yourself how you want to define yourself, and you can become the best of you that there is through your own sheer human willpower. And here lies the challenge for Christians today who want to share their faith. Everything that we've described, not all of it is bad, right? Some of what I just described is actually is a good thing. It can even be a helpful thing. But the problem with all of these, and I would call them false gospels or third kingdoms, isn't what they get right or wrong. It's that they aren't capable of you moving for you and I from the position of lost to found. In other words, they have the power to change your mind or to widen your perspective or to make you a better person. But what they are powerless to do is what is needed most, and that is to transform your hearts. And Paul, when he wrote his letter to the Romans, you know, he was addressing this issue to these Christians in Rome who had been powerfully transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, yet there were some who were claiming that, yeah, you were saved by the power of Christ, yet you still need to try to live your life by the power of the law. And this is what Paul says in Romans 8, 3-4 to these, these newfound Christians. He says, For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh, could not do. That by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Paul's saying it's not that the, Mo- the law of Moses wasn't true. It's not that the law of Moses wasn't good. The problem was that the law of Moses was powerless to do what Christ came to do. That is, the law could reveal sin. It had the power to show you that you were a sinner. But what it could not do and what Christ had the power to do was to condemn sin. That the law had the power to reveal God's righteousness, but only Christ had the power to not only fulfill the righteous requirement of the law, but through Christ make you and I the very righteousness of God. And so every gospel, apart from every gospel, every claim to truth, apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ, is a false gospel. Why? Is it because it's not true? No, it's because it is powerless. It's not that those who believe in something different than you do, that they're not good people. No, no, we know that they're beautiful people. They're wonderful people. Your neighbors that do not profess Christ are wonderful people. Your Muslim neighbors are wonderful people. Your Hindu, your Buddhist, your atheist, your secularist people, they're wonderful people. It's not that they don't get a lot of things right, too. Sometimes other religions and our neighbors do things better than we do as Christians. How many of you know that, unfortunately, to be true? It's just that, and I know this is going to sound culturally insensitive to our Canadian ears, but I say it in love because it's written right here in God's Word, is that their way leads to death. Romans 8, 6, For to set your mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. The pro- why it leads to death is not because it's wrong, but because it's empty of any s- true spiritual power 
It can move you from doing bad things to better things. It can move you from being ignorant to informed. It can even move you from thinking less of yourselves to thinking more of others. But none of the world's truth can positionally transform us from being a slave to sin to becoming a slave of righteousness. From the, being transformed from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. From being lost to being found. From being dead to alive. Here is the truth that only comes through Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, 1 to 5. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God... Rich in mercy, because of the great love of which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. That through Christ, we, we who were dead in the trespasses of our sin have been made alive together in Christ. The book of Revelation, the last book of, of the Bible, it tells sort of the same story in a different way. Revelations 5, 2 to 5, says, And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? Who is worthy? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Only God's truth is worthy of our belief. Only God's truth is worthy of our belief, for only his truth has the power to conquer to conquer the evil one, to conquer and break the power of sin in our lives. Only God's truth through revealed in Jesus Christ has the power to position us from lost to found, from dead to alive. And so to answer the question today, why do we believe that our truth is the truth? That our way is a true way that leads to life and every other way leads to death? And the answer is that God's truth is the truth because as Colossians says, that his truth has delivered us from the domain of darkness and it has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. And here's the thing about God's truth. We don't just believe his truth to be true. We have experienced this truth, haven't we? That to you and I as Christians, it's not his truth is not just a theory. It's not just something that is in a book and we believe it to be true. No, his truth is something that is living in us. It is our testimony. We're like Peter. Who in the Gospel of John, when at a moment when all of these followers who were following Jesus began to walk away and reject him because they did not like something that Jesus did, that Jesus, you know, feeling this thing of rejection, turns to his disciple Peter and he says, are you going to go too? Like, you're free to go, right? Like, you can leave if you want to leave. And Simon Peter answers him in John chapter 5, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter says we've believed, and we've come to know. We have believed, and we have experienced that you are the Holy One of God. 
We do not just believe that God's truth is the truth. We have come to know it personally. That his is the truth that sets us free. That only he has the power to change my position. Which makes God's truth trustworthy, don't you think? That we can trust his truth? That not only has he written his truth in a, in a book, in the word of God, he has written his truth in our hearts. You know, God's word goes through every possible length to show us that the way of Jesus is not just a way that is true, but it is a way that is completely trustworthy, worthy of your trust. That you and I, we can drop everything and follow him. We can drop every ideology, every way of truth. Uh, we can drop every other, uh, you know, every other idea, and we can drop it all, and because Jesus is exactly who he says he was. He was fully God and fully man, which means that he experienced every trial and temptation that humanity can experience. Yet, that did not make him unapproachable or distant, as you imagine, one who is fully holy, who is fully God, meaning he was fully in holiness in the flesh, it did not make him distant or unapproachable, but rather, in his holiness, he drew fully near to us so that he may embody the fullness of God's love. And so now, through his Spirit, we today testify that Jesus is still fully present with us, not just in our moment in need, but through his Spirit. He is always and forever with us. Like Jackie Hill Perry says, if God is holy, then he can't sin. And if God can't sin, then he can't sin against me. And if he can't sin against me, shouldn't that make God the most trustworthy being there is? Do you trust him today? Do you trust that his truth is trustworthy? Do you trust that at a time where everyone's truth is being presented, and it's this truth and that truth, that God's truth is fully worthy of your trust today, of abandoning every other way and fully trusting in his way? You know, in Revelation 21, 5 to 6, it says, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said to John, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and they are true. Write them down. They're trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. It is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payments. And I believe today that Jesus, as he called John to write down those words on paper, he is calling us to write down these words upon our hearts. That his truth is trustworthy. That not only he has the power, before he, only he has the power to give springs of living water to those who thirst, with no payment required, because he has on that cross, paid it all. He has paid the penalty. He has paid the price so that we might drink from springs of living water. And so today, then, how then do we not only know that God's truth is the truth, but how do we show that the way of Jesus is the true way? How do we show Jesus in an age where truth is relative and truth is abstract? I believe the answer is this. You give evidence that God's truth is fully trustworthy of their belief. That in an age where there's a million different truths, that there's only one truth that you can fully invest your trust, and it's God's truth. But you might be thinking, what evidence do I have to offer? I'm not a scholar. I don't have a, a master's degree in theology. You know, I haven't studied the Bible my whole life. I'm a new Christian. What sort of evidence do I have to offer that God's worth is trustworthy? 
Well, the answer is the evidence that you have to author is the truth of God that is living in you. You are the evidence of God's truth. It is your life. It is your testimony. It is the fruit of God's Spirit that testifies through you that God's truth is powerful and trustworthy. And I don't know about you today, but I find it so amazing to consider that all the ways that God could demonstrate His truth, that He has chosen to demonstrate the truth of His power and love through you and through me. Does anyone else find that amazing today? Paul says it a different way in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. He says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Think about that for a moment. Imagine you bought something really expensive. You saved up your whole life to buy something great. I know it's not a great analogy because I would never recommend this, but let's just say you bought a brand new car. Okay? Don't save up your whole life to buy a car. Don't do that. But let's just say you saved up and you bought this beautiful sports car. I mean, six figures. like six, It's expensive. I, who are you going to entrust the keys of that car to? To anyone? If some kid just got their G1, just comes out of the, you know, the service Ontario with their G1, are you going to take it for a spin? If I asked you, said, can I take your car for a spin? You might, okay. And you'd be sitting there in the passenger seat, wouldn't you? Like, just praying and trusting that it all goes okay. Let's do a better analogy. Parents, when it comes to the most precious and important treasure that we have, what is that? Our children. Are we just going to entrust our children to anyone? That if we want to go for away for a weekend, that we're just going to pull some random off the street? It's like, can you come over to my house and watch my children for the weekend? <laughs> Who does that? But God entrust his treasure to you and to me. If you were to think, who would you think that God might entrust the greatest treasure he has? His son, Jesus, that he sent to the world to, to reveal his love, to, to lay down his life, to overcome the enemy. Who might you think he entrusts the greatest treasure he has? Paul says he entrusts it to you and to me to people who, like Paul says, are like jars of clay. Very common in that day, jars of clay. So by everyone would have known what they symbolized. That was weakness, fragility, how ordinary and how easily broken we are. But God has chosen to entrust his truth to you so that, as Paul says, he might show that the surpassing power of God, of the gospel, comes not from us. It's not our truth that we show, that we demonstrate, that we live. It's his truth. And so the question today is not, am I worthy to be entrusted with God's treasure? Because God has already clearly demonstrated that you are worthy today. I know you may not feel worthy. I, may not, I know you may not feel adequate. You may feel unqualified. You may feel incompetent. But no, no, God says today, you are worthy because I have declared you to be worthy. I want to show my surpassing power through your life. The question is not, are you worthy of being entrusted with the gospel? But by entrusting his treasure to you, have you been showing his surpassing power through your life? In other words, more than just knowing God's truth is the truth, we are called to show God's truth to be the truth. As Jesus said in Mark's gospel, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me, and I will make you those 
who are found by me, I will make you those who go to find those who are lost. To not just know my truth, but to show my truth. And I don't know if you're anything like me today. You probably agree. You probably agree, and you, and you would respond, yeah, I believe today. I know that God has, you know, called me to be somebody to go find lost people. I know today that the Holy Spirit has filled me with spiritual power. I know what the God's Word says. I know I'm supposed to go, but there's almost like this paralysis because of our culture. Like, where do I even begin? Where do I even start? You know, for the young people in the room, you shared the gospel you're putting yourself out there with, for a fear of rejection, for the fear of looking stupid, for the fear of looking incompetent and being outsmarted by another person. And guess what to all the young people in the room? When you grow up, it's the exact same fear. We don't want to look stupid. We don't want to look dumb. We don't want to look like we don't know what we're talking about. Or maybe we're just afraid of getting in trouble with HR for saying something that's, you know, culturally inappropriate. I don't know. How do we share God's truth? How do we share his truth in a moment when all truth is relative? I want to share two, two concluding thoughts. And really, this deserves an entire, you know, and deserves so much more than just a few concluding paragraphs, doesn't it? But really, I, I just want to share to you today just two thoughts that I think God put on my heart this week. First, we need to take an honest look at our own desire and passion to share the truth of God. I think that's a really good place for us to begin. Just taking an honest, introspective look. Like, do I really want to do this? I think it's one thing to say, I know that's what God's Word says, but is it in my heart to really want to share my life and what God has done in my life? Does, do I really, and do I really believe today that God wants to show His truth and His love through me? Like, do I really believe that? I hope you do today. I hope you walk away saying God does want to call me, has called me, and wants to lead others into His kingdom through me. Because if there's only one way to God, I have to come to the honest conclusion of what is at stake for people I love and care about and who do not share that same truth. We have to come to that conclusion. I think today if we're honest and saying we've lacked the passion and desire to reach the loss, the best place to begin sharing God's truth is by beginning right here in your heart and by confessing and asking God to fill you with his passion and desire for the lost. You know, years ago, Craig Rochelle, a pastor in the States, wrote a book called The Christian Atheist. And it was a tough book. And he describes how a Christian atheist is someone who believes in God, but doesn't live as though he exists. And here's what Craig Rochelle says in this book. He says, that if you were to be put on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Ouch! I think we as Christians living here in the West, we need to honestly admit that when it has come to sharing our faith, and I know this, I don't speak for everyone here today, but hopefully I speak for someone, because I know I'm feeling this today, that when it has come to sharing our faith, that other faiths, theistic faiths and non-theistic faiths, have been sold out to their cause of sharing the faith. And I don't think that has always been the case for us as the church. I don't know, I, I just confess for myself, I don't have, I'm not always shown that same urgency and passion, but if I don't, Who will? Who will? in my community? Who will in my neighborhood? We read those cards, and I'm telling you, it's not like we had a thousand cards today from Bridalwood. We had like two. And I know that obviously not all the Christians in Bridalwood are live, coming to this church. You get what I'm saying. Let's ask God to renew our passion for the lost. Let's ask God to help us see that the harvest is plentiful. 
Let's ask God to give us courage and boldness to step out of our comfortable lives and get uncomfortable when it comes to sharing our faith. And then second, I want to close with this today. I'll just ask to invite, and I'll invite Estrus to come join me on the piano. The last thing I want to say is this. When it comes to evangelism, we often take a very individualized approach to evangelism, don't we? I'm sure everything you've heard me say so far has been filtered through, the, you know, the filter of, of you. Like, I got to go. I got to do. I got to go tell. I got to do something. You know, you, 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 me, me, me. But I think when it comes to evangelism, you know, for those who have the gift of evangelism, they flourish under that model because God's Spirit has given them a power to basically whatever model of evangelism you want to throw their way, they're going to do great. They're going to do awesome. But I think by individualizing evangelism, a lot of Christians have been discouraged. Anyone? Like, you don't, just don't feel equipped. You don't feel like you ha- you're smart enough. You feel like you just lack the courage to do so. And as I read through the New Testament over and over again, and as I was just looking through it through this lens, I don't see a whole lot of evidence in a very individualized approach to evangelism, meaning you're on your own, it's on you, and you're going to do it all by yourself. What I do see, however, is a call for the church together as one body to share the gospel where God has placed them. That we've made evangelism a me thing when really it should be a we thing. Amen? There is good news, though, I think, on the horizon for a church that together as one body wants to evangelize. Because what we're seeing happening, and and it's not just the pandemic. The pandemic did not create this. We were seeing this before, though the pandemic has accelerated this. That individualism is on the, de- the decline. That we are slowly learning that there are serious consequences for radical individualism. That we as individuals, you can't just do what you want. We're finding that out the hard way, haven't we? You're part of something bigger. You're part of a bigger thing. And this is ultimately good news because you do your thing, I do my thing. That spirit in the West is slowly but surely fading because we are all part of something bigger. And when I look at the church has to offer to the world, from the very earliest moments of the church, living in the Roman Empire, they didn't have the power of the Romans. They didn't have the the smarts of the, the Greek philosophers and the Stoics. But what they did better than anybody else in that time is that they loved one another. Fast forward to 2021, to the church living in a digitalized, secularized, global society. What do we have to offer to the world? We have this. Community founded upon agape love. Are we perfect? No. (laughs) But we have the opportunity before us to build genuine community for a love that is patient with one another, that does not that is kind to one another, does not envy, that keeps no records of wrongs. What if our best witness of a true and trustworthy love of God is not in what you can do for Christ, but what we together can do as the body of Christ here in Canada, here in the West, here in, 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 in Carleton Place and beyond. So what I want to do today in closing is share with you something we're going to be starting here in Canada, uh, starting today, I guess as a part of Life Center. You know, last year around this time, we as a membership at our last business meeting, uh, the membership of the church agreed to designate $37,000 as a, uh, to Canada and to Cornwall to help us establish a local ministry, uh, a local outreach footprint in our community. 
that Orleans has the food bank in Blackburn. And the realization, though, is that Canada and Cornwall don't really have an extension of who they are reaching out, you know, like the, the food bank. And so the, the, the heart was, let's help Canada and, and Cornwall share the love of God and the truth of God with what is to the specific need and meet this by meeting the specific needs of their community. And so as I, you know, was tasked to begin just praying and discerning what we could address in terms of a need, I wanted to, to see a need that would not just be near and dear to our hearts, but to God's hearts. And so we, I gathered together some members of this campus, and we began to pray and search and discern with God. And, and the problem that we found was twofold. First, there are so many needs here in the city of Ottawa that we could meet. There is no shortage of a harvest field is there. Yet at the same time, our affluence here in Canada and here in the West has disguised a lot of the needs. That you drive through downtown and the need is right in front of you. You drive through the suburbs of Canada and you're like, man, this, this looks like people got their stuff together. You know, the need is not out there in front of us as evident as it is in other places. And so we began to pray and, and I, I admit there's like this choice for choice fatigue. It's like, I don't know which one. And I just felt the Lord put on my hearts, and it was confirmed by the team, just do something. That was what I felt the Lord said. I'm like, okay, Lord, pick something, and I will bless it. You don't have to, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You don't have to overcomplicate it. Step out in faith, and I will bless it. Because when it comes to my heart, there's no short of, of what is burdening my heart today. So if you remember months ago, we had Corey and Lindsay sit up on the stage and share the ministry that God has been doing through their life of ministering to single moms um, and just supplying them with things like furniture and, and whatever it may be. Just It all started with a couch, as some of you know. And as I was listening to them and interviewing them and, and reflecting upon it afterwards, I just began to think, I was like, I think we can do something like that here in Canada. So I called Lindsay and I just asked for her blessing. And I just said, like, would you bless us to start something similar here in Canada? A ministry that serves single moms, but not just single moms, families in needs, and in their moment of need, and helping meet some of their urgent, tangible needs, like, yeah, furniture, or moving expenses. How many of you know it's expensive to move? How many of you know it's expensive when you move, and you go to Walmart, and you get all those supplies, like a mop and Windex, and then you look at the bill, and you're like, what? We can help with some of those things. We can help meet some tangible needs so that in return with prayer and with hope, we may have the opportunity to share the love of Christ, the love of Jesus with, through some of the relationships that we build. So I close with this. There are three reasons for this ministry. A, we want to invest in a ministry that addresses an unmet need in the community. I don't know about you, and I don't say this proudly, but unfortunately, when it comes to families in need, especially single moms, the supply will never outpace the demands. And we ask, Lord, in Jesus' name, would you come and would you, would you make that need, you know, fully met forever and amen. The harvest is plentiful and is more plentiful than the workers. B, we wanted a ministry that can involve the whole church and not just a few. Because sometimes what happens when it comes to things like outreach, it's like a little small committee, a few people doing all the work. No, 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 you're not off the hook, okay? We want the whole body of Christ to bring their gifts to this one ministry. We have young and old and men and women and, and different, you know, ministries in the church. We want 
this ministry to be accessible to the whole church. And see, finally, we wanted to start a ministry that, yes, reaches this, this city, the city, the area of Canada, but we want to reach this local community, this street, Terran Road. I've driven down this street now probably thousands of times, I guess. And I look at the communities. I look at the homes. Do it for yourself one day. Drive up and down this road. Just look around. There's need right here on this street. So my unmet prayer is that we may make a real difference right here on Terran Road. So I know I've been long-winded this morning. Here's our goal for 2022 as a community. Let's start small. Let's start small. Let's just pick a few things and do them well and see where God leads us. Here's our goal, to help five families in 2022. To provide five families and to cover all their moving expenses. To cover all their starting needs of, of getting, you know, moved into a new place. Of providing them with some urgent needs. Is it bunk beds for their kids? I don't know. Whatever it is, the Lord will show us. Number two, partner with two local organizations that are already helping these families and just say, how can we help? How can we help? And then third and finally, and this is dear to my heart, I'm just going to put this out there, share some vision. We need someone in this campus who God has put a burden on your hearts for these people to help lead this ministry. I can't do it on my own. Pastoral staff, we can't do it on our own. I believe there's someone here today, or maybe someone in second service, I don't know, or someone in this campus, God is going to tug on their heart and just, they're not going to let off until you do something about it. That this is an area where you just believe God is calling you to lead. Come see me if that's you. <laughs> but next Sunday, we're going to begin a project together as a campus, and I'll save those details for next week because I've already spoken long enough. But we're going to begin next week with a, with a project that we're going to do between now and Christmas for these single moms and their families. So would you stand to your feet? Let's just pray together as we close, and then we'll dismiss. Father, it's been a wonderful time gathering together in your presence. God, you are here, Lord, because you have promised in your word that where two or three are gathered, you are there. God, for those today who have felt and experienced your presence, thank you and amen. For those who are, for whatever difficulties or whatever challenges they face, maybe did not necessarily feel your presence, I pray that you help them know in faith that you are with them right now. And God, today, this has been a difficult topic, Lord. How do we know that your truth is the truth? God, help us, Lord, in this really difficult age where Canadian apathy has created an almost greater hostility to the gospel than we have ever seen in our, our lifetime. Lord, help us to go out there, Lord, and not just try to bang down the doors with truth. Lord, help us to show others, Lord, through love and compassion and through the way that you did, Lord, when you came, God, that your truth is fully trustworthy of giving our entire lives to. Lord, you are the way. And we believe that you are the way. And we've experienced it. Our lives are a testimony of that. But God, help us to go now and share your love and share your truth as Jesus you shared, Lord, with humility and compassion and grace by going to where the least of these were. God, by just sharing the good news, Lord, that the kingdom of God has come, Lord, and that the, those who are poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who are hurting today, they are blessed. Lord, we love you today, and I ask you just, Lord, to begin blessing this initiative that we are about to undertake as a campus, God. I have no idea what you're going to do, but God, I pray this will be a moment we look back on in years to come, and we say, God, you are so good. You have been so good. Lord, we pray this in your name. Amen. 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 Sounds good?
Amen. You guys ready to go and share the love of God, share the truth of God? <laughs> all right. God bless everyone today. Uh, we're all dismissed. Feel free to stick around and uh, commune with one another. And if you need prayer today for any reason at all, just have a seat, and one of our members of our prayer team will come to you and pray with you this morning. God bless everyone. Thank you.